you know, a lot of these, these businesses that you, these bohemians that you thought were unbreakable, you thought could never be torn down. And, and we see that happen on a, you know, on a fairly regular basis where these really large companies that didn't evolve, that took for granted their position in the marketplace, or maybe they just didn't know what to do next. And they're taken out by more nimble and more capable organizations. I think that that's what we're seeing happen right now in fund administration. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM, which just helps to also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com slash leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge, and I'm happy to welcome Kevin Walkup today. He's the CEO of Harmonate. Kevin, I uh, always ask the guests, you know, do do your own intro. I, I'm sure you've done your elevator speech and, you know, history and story more times than, than I can imagine. So love to hear from you, and please uh, introduce yourself and tell us about what you guys are doing. Hey, Ledge, thanks for having me on today. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure. I, I've uh, gone through, listened to some of your other podcasts. They're really exciting. You guys do a fantastic job. But I'm Kevin. I, uh, I get the honor of being the CEO of Harmonate. And, uh, you know, we are, we're really focused in and targeting the uh, fund administration space, which is, you know, historically hasn't been a really sexy market. It's been, uh, it's been one that has been primarily misunderstood and hasn't moved a lot from a technology standpoint. Uh, but I think we're, we're, you know, we've done a pretty good job. We've, we've developed just a fantastic team who's, uh, who's developing some really unique technologies that solve a lot of mid to back office problems there and automate those functions. If you think about the amount of work that goes in from a, from a manual standpoint, you know, fund administrators have armies of fund accountants that sit behind the scenes processing investor data, trying to get it to a position where investors can actually see what's going on in their portfolio. Uh, and if you think about this market, it's, it's made up of, of ultra high net worth individuals. So it's not just it's not just regular in, in investors who get involved like they would in the public markets. And, you know, these are folks who have to make decisions quickly to be able to take advantage of just shifts in the marketplace. But in the alts market, they're not able to do that uh, because they may not see what's going on in their portfolio for weeks at a time. Uh, and the reason for that 
is manual processes. And so we are we are applying technology to go and really solve that problem and allow data to flow through the right way. But we've been in business for just, just over a year and we've seen tremendous traction and, and we're really, really excited about what's going on from a, a market standpoint and, and positioning of the product to solve, you know, some really some really unique challenges that I think once once solved apply to, you know, additional addressable markets and, and really allow us to take some some other technologies to other places and, and solve solve data the movement the movement of data issues. Certainly can imagine the movement of data being a, a compelling issue across, you know, all kinds of businesses. Just for yeah. anybody that's not aware of, you know, the funds you're talking about, what what types of funds are those that you know, are, are addressing these types of investing needs then? Yeah, so it can be, it can, you know, the alternative space is made up of all kinds of funds. It's made up of hedge funds. It's made up of all types of unique in, investments. And if you think about the, the private equity funds, they can be invested in anything, right? These funds can be invested in any, any, any slice of the market. And so being able to take the information and understand the gains or the losses that are associated with these specific areas uh, and being able to provide transparency to investors is really the trick in it because you're having to bring in data from all t- all different sources. It's not just like a mutual fund recording their NAV on a daily basis. This is where you're having to collect the investments um, of, of a, a number of investment types or asset classes and you're having to capture what's going on and then, you know, kind of publish what, you know, from an administrative standpoint, publish a nav that um, is, is an aggregate view of what's going on with, with the fund itself. Nav being? Net asset value. Sorry. Net asset value of a fund. So the interest then is providing the data necessary for the fund administrator, which I think is called a limited partner, right? LP or someone who works with them. And take all this disparate data that isn't reported maybe in a standard way because it is an alternative asset class. So small private companies, I don't know, I'm guessing art, maybe crypto, you know, all types of things that are real estate that are invested in by different types of funds. And then, so you have to normalize and sort of make sense out of all kinds of of inputs then to make reporting better, I guess, and, you know, just help them understand, hey, you're managing a ton of money. Where and how are we doing that? And how would we even know if those asset classes were moving around in price? It's right. Can't check your real time stock alerts for for such a thing. Yeah, one is a, there's a there's a there's a significant issue with transparency in this space. Um, and you certainly and- read about that in the papers, <laughs> and you know I, I, these these folks get uh, now I I can't can't say that I'm rich enough to be involved, but uh, these folks don't get a a good rap for transparency, especially you know hedge funds and stuff. So, well, you know everybody knows that transparency is coming to the space, right? Private capital can't be immune from the re- the requirements of the digital you know, what digital does to break down data barriers. So what we're doing is we're banking on the fact that people want to put systems in place now with folks who've been there like us. Uh, and you want to make, you want to make progress now to have the culture that functions well uh, with a degree of transparency and start building the compounding advantage. We believe in building the moat and enabling our customers to build a moat around them 
we know there are research shows of banks that have invested in IT, that invested ahead, ahead in IT of the financial crisis, had fewer loan defaults, right? They didn't know the financial crisis was coming, but they were ready for the black swans, right? They had, so, so that's, that's exactly what, what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to get our customers or the market in a position of preparedness that allows them to deal with this because legislation will come down that requires transparency. Not everybody wants transparency. I would say this one, you know, if you don't have to provide it, why would you provide it? But it's coming. So we want to help, we want to help customers get in front of that. Um, and that's, uh, that's part of what we're doing right now. It's a compelling way to think about risk management then. Uh, getting out ahead of, of regulation is a nice place to be. Certainly a good moat for, for you all. And you mentioned that you're from the space, which so I guess that's, I'd love to hear the stories of how, you know, this came about. Uh, typically a, a one-year-old quote-unquote SaaS company is in fact quite a bit of work and experience and research beforehand. And I, I love to dig into those stories because these things don't manifest overnight. Yeah, no, it doesn't. You know, my, my, my personal background, I, I, I kind of came from the space, but uh, not directly. It's kind of indirectly. But, but I come from pretty humble beginnings. My, uh, my mom told me early on that if I wanted to be successful, and by the way, I don't, I don't measure success by, by the amount of money I make, um, that I needed to be educated, work really hard, be kind to others, and make good choices. Right? I tried to apply that to, to my life and to business, and, and we try to apply those same type of characteristics to the company. But I was the first person in my family to get, to get a college degree, and I, and I went to school as a, and became a stockbroker, which is kind of the, the parallel that, that, that would later become the problem that we're solving right now. But, but I jumped pretty quickly into management, and after about seven years in the industry, I, man, I was managing multiple multiple branches and just been offered the job that I had been going after the whole time. And uh, uh, I knew it wasn't right. And it's kind of funny how you come to different crossroads in your life and and you just you just know it's not the right thing. And my wife had just become pregnant with our first child. And, and if I was going to be an active part in his life, I needed to find a new career that was maybe a little less volatile. volatile. Uh, is you know, this the stock market is just whenever you're involved in that, it's like all consuming uh, and it moves around and you're, you, you know, your mood moves up and down with the market, which isn't a great place to be. And uh, it was the challenge was to identify what to do next. Uh, and I decided after after, you know, after a while to make a move into technology and I got several designations and. And I ultimately made my way over to Dell, where I spent the next 10 years, which was my time at Dell was great. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I learned a ton. I got I got exposed to some just tremendous leaders who who took a real active position in my career. And after coming in as a sales guy, I moved into leadership roles and ultimately going to manage multiple billion dollar businesses. It happened really, really fast, much quicker than I thought it would. And it was, it was, you know, such a learning moment for me, uh, just all the different areas of the business from sales to operations that I was allowed to, to manage and take the reins of. And, you know, you felt that you feel, whenever you first do it, you feel a little ill-equipped to be able to manage a P&L of that size, a business of that size, but it worked out. And, and the businesses all grew. And I can't say it was to, you know, for anything I did other than hiring a lot of great people. 
that's been really the hallmark. If you look back on my career and what I would say, every success that I've had, it's all been about the right people, making sure the right the pieces of the puzzle are in place. And I came to another crossroads and I was recruited really heavily by Samsung. Really, probably the most difficult decision I ever, I ever made was to leave Dell. Uh, because I genuinely enjoyed the company. I enjoyed spending time with the leaders. I enjoyed working with Michael. I mean, just fantastic group of people. After declining the offer several times, I ultimately it ultimately became apparent that I needed to move my family to the Bay Area and, and go to work for Samsung. And, and I was going to run there. I ran their energy business uh, for North America, which, by the way, I knew nothing about the energy business at the time. You know, it was a pretty quick study and was able to ramp up pretty fast. And we took a, a, a billion dollar business and we grew it by 20% in the first year after they had had declines for you know several years in a row. Uh, but again, all about the right people, all about putting them in place at the right times. Uh, and I was asked a little bit later by San Mina, who's a tier one contract manufacturer, if I could come over and, and run their global and their global compute and storage division. and again, knew nothing or very little about contract manufacturing. It, it, was, it was foreign to me, but fortunately, there was a CEO, Yuri Sola, who was the founder and CEO of the company and who's, who's become a great friend. He took me under his wing. He, took me, he taught me the business. And uh, we took a business that was doing a couple hundred million and grew it to over a billion and actually put it in a position to to grow several several times over, but we know we had to make a shift as as with everything because because of the profile of the company was going to be so much larger with storage and compute than the whole rest of the company. Uh, we had to apply some different resources and and make a shift. But you know it's a great it's a great time and I really enjoyed it. And I learned so much. You think about going from tech going from from the equities market to compute to, to the technology space, the compute market, to to um, energy, and then the contract manufacturing, you couldn't be too much different. But again, all about the right people. And we experienced great success. And then the opportunity that I that I always kind of wanted was to run my own company. But I recognize that, you know, whenever you take over a CEO, you know, you can take you can inherit a lot of baggage. So I kind of wanted to do, take on a CEO role that would allow me kind of a startup, the start, you know, just the startup mentality where I was able to, to, to create it from scratch uh, and, and manage things that way. And I got the opportunity in 2019 when NES Financial, who is a specialty fund administrator, contacted me and I had some, I had a mentor of mine who was on the board and I met with the CEO prior to and and they said, you know, really feel like you'd be, you'd be ideal for this. And they had, they had created a, a division out of a, out of a problem that was experienced with one of their customers. Well, it would become a customer. And it was a traditional fund administrator who was uh, about to get fired. They were about to get fired by their largest fund of funds, which was a $92 billion fund of fund. Right. It's a really, really big customer. And the problem statement was one, one, was one of data latency. And it was the problem that I described before where investors would send in statements and they would send in information. And once it was sent into the fund administrator to the fund to fund and, and it was transacted to the fund administrator, it would take two weeks to actually see it. 
And that two-week window was after the fund administrator had already spent $2 million on, an up, on a technology upgrade. Now, this is what's funny, is in the fund administration market, technology upgrade is viewed as, as, in, as improvements in your macros. That's how technology is measured, is, is how, how good your Excel macros are, um, <laughs> which is a problem. If you, I wondered if, you if you're using macros in some sense that I needed to figure out, but you're actually talking about in the traditional sense of the word working in Excel. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> sad. Yeah. Which is so interesting because Excel is pervasive across the space. Excel is if Excel went down or something happened to Microsoft, the industry would cease to exist because it all runs on it. But obviously, it's not a. It wasn't built for that. Uh, they've cobbled things together that that manages data. It's just done very slowly, and it requires a lot of manual intervention. You have you have indi individuals who will play the role of maker who create the data, and you'll have checkers that check the data, and a lot of times you'll have another checker process just to make sure to validate the data one more time. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have this cascading idea that the more complicated you made that thing you know, a point zero 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 one error, you know, somewhere or a rounding function that's wrong, you know, just absolutely decimates it downstream. And God bless the person that has to seek through 35 different tabs and linked sheets and all the things to figure out where that happened. And we're in an industry that 98% that accuracy gets you fired, right? So you can't make mistakes. Uh, which is it's understandable why they have all the processes in place that they do, but you know we 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 got in or they got involved in this and they they begin to make gains on the technology side and apply some of the un unique technologies they develop. They're in, in in a very complex side of the business. NES Financial is. They concentrated on opportunity zones, ten thirty ones. EB-5, which is an immigrant investor program, where the tracking of money is essential. Uh, and there's a lot of fraud that happens in the space. And so the ability to automate the tracking of money and tracking of data flows is essential. You have to be able to do it well. And if you apply a lot of manual resources to it because of the volumes that are associated, you just aren't able to make any money. So they had to automate. They were forced to go and develop new technologies. And that's why they were contacted by this, by this large traditional fund administrators. Can you bring to bear on our side of the space some of the similar technology, some similar technologies that would help us automate this process? And after, after they became aware that they were solving something really big and it had, you know, it had legs to go well beyond just this one customer, that's whenever they uh, they started discussions with me about how do we how do we take this productize it in a way that represents the way products are rolled out in other markets because the way products are rolled out in the financial space and the way products are rolled out in other markets is very different. You don't have the rigor, you don't have the hardening necessary to make sure it works all the time the right way in the financial world. In other spaces, you have that products work the same way every single time. Uh, so they wanted to make sure that that approach was, was, was satisfied in this space and as we move forward. And so I, uh, I made the decision to make the move and I've got to tell you, I, I, it's, it's been awesome so far. We, 
we, you know, one of the things whenever you come to a company and they tell you, well, we're going to spin this out into its own company. A lot of times that never happens, right? Because companies, it's difficult to completely spin out of one company. But I, I had a lot of trust in the CEO. I had a lot of trust in the board. And uh, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. And so on March 31st of 2020, we were spun out. And on April 1st of 2020, NES Financial was acquired by JTC, which is a large uh, fund administrator out of the UK. And we completely separated. Uh, the good thing is, is that JTC became a large customer of ours. In fact, it became our largest customer. And, uh, you know, we're able to kind of draft off that. We automatically had, had a, you know, built in, a built-in customer. Uh, we had already had a couple of other customers prior to that, too. One, one was the initial use case that we discussed. But the ultimate impact of the technology on this one customer was pretty profound. We had taken the two-week window, and where it was taking two weeks to manage 50,000 documents on a quarterly basis with 27 full-time employees. We took that from two weeks down to 24 hours. We took the need for having 27 employees down to four. And ultimately, they were able to save the business with, with the $92 billion fund of funds. In fact, that $92 billion fund of funds is being able, to, is, is taking credit now, which they should, for the advances in or the improvement in customer experience their investors are having because nobody else is able to, to, to deliver uh, that type of visibility to investors at this time. So, of course, you're going to want to make sure you replicate that across a whole bunch of, of customers there. So I could see how the the political landscape of rolling out and having a marquee customer, you know, would sort of just be like, hey, I want to make sure that we can also grow this company because you want to have other customers, which naturally sets up a, you know, sort of competitive type of thing where you're taking the technology that was developed, you know, under one umbrella and uh, then repositioning it for for go to market. So that that to me tells me that you would have um, have to be careful with that original relationship that everybody knew, you know, kind of that was going to happen and who owned what. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's definitely something that we have to go through and and talk about with potential customers because we want everybody on the same playing field. You know, how quickly people deploy this, how quickly our customers deploy this, is the thing that will that will uh, allow them to gain the the advantage over one another. Speed is not something that uh, is historically a characteristic of fund administration. Uh, there's a lot of there's there's a, a lot of risk adversity there. Right, they're very they are very risk intolerant, uh, and so they don't move quickly, uh, which is understandable. They're dealing with tremendous, uh, tremendous amounts of money. People count on them to get it right. So, you know, just making shifts willy-nilly doesn't make sense. Uh, it, put it puts customers' portfolios at risk. But, you know, you have to, you have to take some measured, measured chances, right? And, and we provide the insulation, you know, we... we we uh, allow systems to run in parallel to be tested fully to make sure that it's performing and behaving in the manner that's expected. Uh, so the, the risk quotient is, is really, really low. Let me ask you about the path that you took, because this is this is an interesting one. You know, So I'll often talk to people who are just like, all I ever wanted to do was startups. 
And I'm kind of one of those guys. So, you know, I'm like 13 startups deep and some were amazing failures and some were pretty good, you know, and then there's, you know, somebody maybe from industry who sort of learned along the way and, and running internal businesses or even just never ran a business and kind of go quit everything and I'm going to do my first startup. And I, I think your path is interesting because you ran, you know, large scale sort of business units which have autonomous uh you know or sort of isolated PLs you know so it is running a business but it's not it's not you sort of run your own business um and then you kind of you were able to use your network then to get invited to spin out a, a company and you probably didn't have to worry as much maybe about funding from that point because you have a a well-heeled sort of you know initial client and uh, sponsor, you know, corporate and parent sponsor, which is interesting. So I haven't talked to many people that have this opportunity to get into build a business through a spin out. And I wonder how maybe if you could articulate how to become aware of, of such a thing, because that maybe could be a great path for people that are interested in getting into a startup, but, you know, sort of not mortgaging their house or, you know, doing some of these crazy things that people do, you know, to, to get into running uh, an early stage company. Yeah. Elijah, I, I, I wish I could say there's a template to it. I, I don't, I don't think there is, I, I think uh, right time, right place. And, you know, I, I was fortunate, as I said before, to have relationships with a lot of folks. I think being really intentional with your network uh, is, is important, important with everything. You know, I, if you if, if you want to continue to make a difference, a meaningful difference, uh, you can't do it on your own. You have to be able to you know duplicate through through your network and and to leverage all the skills that are out there and 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 people who want to help and and be a part of something bigger. Uh, and that's all done through connecting. Uh, and I think that's 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 what happened in my situation is is you know I was very fortunate to have a lot of success because I had great teams uh, and was put in a position where I had an opportunity to be successful. So I think, you know, that was recognizable. Uh, the businesses all grew. Every single business that I've been involved in because of the great teams have, have, have flourished. Um, we've done really well. Uh, and I think whenever this, whenever they needed to solve this problem because of the relationships that have been created, uh, it made it a pretty easy an easy decision or choice for them um, or easier than it could have been uh, just because you know why you saw an ability to take to go into different industries and not have a lot of experience in any of them and be able to apply certain business principles that drive specific outcomes and that really is what I concentrated on is let's let's apply business principles that we know work all the time and once we do that, we should have the ingredients for successful outcomes. So what are those principles? I mean, I'd love to hear what you're listing. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, whenever we're going from making the decision of capital acceleration versus bootstrapping, or as we call it, just kind of grinding, you know, you have to do things in, in order or, or at a certain time. But, but the first part is hiring the right team. If you don't have that right team in place, it's not going to work. Uh, you got to have discipline and rigor around all the elements of corporate management. So you've got to make sure your finance, your HR, 
your R&D, your marketing, your sales all have structure. You have uh, mechanisms of reporting. You have transparency. You know, we talk about we talk about transparency for other customers. You have to have transparency in your business and the reporting that comes up. Now, one of the challenges, Ledge, is, is you don't um, you don't necessarily have all of the leaders that you would want to be able to solve all those problems. So you have to yourself report up and you have to be true to that and really understand what the status is of each one of those things. So sometimes it's self-reporting, right? And I, and I have a system of accountability in place that makes sure where I own certain things, our business leaders hold me accountable just like I hold them accountable because we all are relying. One person drops the ball in a startup, it's a, you've been involved in it. It's a big problem. Yeah, and, and I imagine there's a time when you have dropped maybe a small ball, you know, not a not a huge one. And, uh, you know, I've had that opportunity where I have to go to my team and, hey, guess what, guys? I screwed up. Oh, and yeah, I've dropped, of course, I've dropped huge balls, too. You know, you, you fall on the sword and you have to be, you have to show a great deal of humility. This It's, it's not one guy on top running everything. It's a team. You know, my, my whole life has been about team sports and I love them. But you apply those same principles to business. And you can come up with a winning ingredient too. But I think the other is getting all the pieces of the puzzle in order together and deployed at the right time. And that at the right time is really important. There's a, I don't know how familiar you are with John Maxwell, but he, he wrote this book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And in that book, he's got uh, the law of process. And this has been one of the ones that I struggle with my whole career because I, I want to make things happen immediately. But you got to observe this law. And the main idea behind the law is, is that routines and tasks that you make each day are, are what will eventually kind of build the success of both you and your business. Uh, and, and, and John Macy made this, he, he says this thing, he, he, or he wrote this, he said, see what a person is doing every day, day after day, and you'll know who that person is and what he or she is becoming. And I think you apply that same principle to the business and see what the business does day after day, the disciplines and rigor that are demonstrated in that business, and you will know what that business is and will become. You'll see that success. And, you know, you'll have to go through the same up, up and downs as, as any business has to go through. But if you do the right things every day, you have the rigor built into the business, it tends to drive certain outcomes. And the funding piece of it that you mentioned is something that's unique to us because we didn't have to do what a lot of others have to do. We were funded from the beginning in terms of the basic needs of the business being met. Um, so a lot of the R&D that went on occurred under NES Financial, and they bore the brunt of the financial responsibility for that. Right. So we didn't have to, we were, we were in a very, we were in a great spot for that. And we were able to get in our, put ourselves in a position that allowed us to be much more capable once the split occurred to be able to deliver on the demands of, of the market. Now there's still a lot. We actually put the brakes on everything for about nine months. We just started selling the product really. Because we had to make sure there were some there were some things that needed to be solved on the product side that we knew that if they weren't solved, 
it would be disastrous because if you make a mistake in this space early on, you're never forgiven. You're never forgiven for it. So we put the brakes on and it was, it was a risky venture to say the least. Um, but for about nine or 10 months, we didn't sell anything. We made sure the product was where it needed to be. And uh, I think we've made some great strides and, you know, we were notified the other day by, by one of our partners at LinkedIn that, 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 that our, our followers is, is uh, exponentially up against anybody who would be considered a, consp- a competitor in our space. We, it's, it's really, it's, it's a really great story. And, and I'm so excited about what's going on with it because while we've made tremendous gains and I think we're going to take market share left and right in this thing. I don't see the competitive landscape being one that's 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 uh, terribly aggressive. You know, having come from spaces that that there's only nuanced differences in you and your competitors. Like you think of a Dell and an HP. Right? What's the difference about your desktop? Well, who knows, right? It's just subtle differences. The case. <laughs> yeah, the case. It's, it's, it's got it's got a cool bezel. Uh, you know, you have these subtle differences, but in our space. We have tremendous competitive separation and we've just started. Now we've got some, and I, and I wish we were at, I was at a point where we could go ahead and announce it, but over the next couple of, uh, over the next month and two months, we're going to make some announcements of, of some technological advancements or shifts in the product that are kind of based on a, a patent that was filed back in April. And it's going to be just tremendous to see what happens because that will allow us eventually to be able to take this and to other addressable markets that have to have data moved from one place to another that need that need handwritten documents. Think about this, Ledge. Think about the ability for a system to be able to understand how to contextualize and normalize handwritten documents and apply it correctly maybe to a general ledger or whatever in source it needs to go to. That doesn't exist in the space with any accuracy. Right, you get to sixty to sixty to sixty-two percent, depending on what which AI engine you use. But how do you do that on a plus ninety percent accuracy basis? You don't. Um, and I think we're in a position pretty quickly to be able to uh, uh, to announce some things that I think will be pretty compelling to the market. Sounds like you might be spinning out some companies later. So <laughs> well, that's the hope. That's the awesome. Hope. Things have got to go right. Well, give me give me a one minute, two minute sort of, you know, I always ask the guests, you know, put your futurist hat on, like what's happening that business leaders, you know, B2B leaders should be paying attention to? Like, what are you seeing? And you have a unique view, you know, you have a sort of an area that not everybody works in. So I wonder, can you, you know, sort of give a macro view of things that are going to matter, you know, for all the leaders in the, in the B2B space? Because I think that's really what our show is about yeah it's uh you know i think from 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 our side it's uh there's there's the one of of transparency we've been talking talking about uh yeah i think there's uh, automation i think there's a requirement to evolve uh you see a lot of businesses that you know a lot of these these businesses that you these bohemians that you thought were unbreakable you thought could never be torn down and, and we see that happen on a, you know, on a fairly regular basis where these really large companies that didn't evolve, that took for granted their position in the marketplace, or maybe they just didn't know what to do next, and they're taken out by more nimble and more capable uh, organizations. 
I think that that's what we're seeing happen right now in fund administration. You have these really large trillion dollar, you know, trillion dollar uh, fund administrators and as far as AUM goes, uh, assets under management. And they've got these huge businesses and they've been able to manage it with, uh, with uh, manual processes. And since everybody's doing the same thing, their cost basis is, is about the same as everybody else's. And they just make tweaks and, you know, they get, they get a couple basis points here and there, but they're not making any, any major shifts for the customer. They're not providing the transparency. And you see this, um, this lack of evolution uh, or the absence of uh, providing a competitive opportunity for somebody who comes in to approach the business in a totally different way. And that applies to really any, any industry. And we've seen it happen. We've seen what Amazon's done to, you know, to all the box, to all the big, you know, the big brick and mortar shops, you know, they've come in and they've taken many of them out. And these were hallmark names. What happened to Sears? Where's Sears? Amazon is the new Sears catalog. Walmart weared it, you know, to a degree, but they lost tons of market share. Um, you know, you have to be able to anticipate. And whenever we talk about, you know, I think I mentioned black swans earlier, you know, you have to look at these unforeseen events and you have to be able to prepare for them. And the preparation for this is typically found in you know, the automation of technology or leveraging technology that solves problems that are going to come down the road. And I think you have to be forward looking enough to be able to say this is a problem, maybe not now, but it will be in the next year or two years. And I think you have to educate constantly. You have to be reading all the time. You have to stay informed and you have to have leaders around you who do the same thing, who have the same principles that drive them. And I think, you know, so the black swans, I think the relationships in our in our space, it's eco, it's ecosystem based relationships. And I think every every industry represents that, too. How do I surround myself with an ecosystem that helps to buffer some of the potential impacts of black swans? Uh, and, uh, you know, we. We, we, that's one of the hallmarks of, you know, my career, we talked about the relationship aspect of it and how, how important that's been for me. But as a business, if you don't have those partnerships, if you don't have an ecosystem surrounding you, then you're exposed. And I think, you know, we are, we are aggressively um, addressing that and making sure we've got the right partners and, and the right systems. Trust is built on shared transparency and execution. And, you know, there are systems out there that allows you to capture markets when, when, you know, shocks hit your industry, like, you know, unforeseen black swans. Um, so that's, those are really the things that, you know, we look at, I, you know, I don't know that I'm giving any revelations to people right now, but, but I think that they're, they're principles that I think we, we all need to think about and, um, in, in well, they're habits that we need to execute on a daily basis. You know, I think that that was the key point that you brought up before. And in the same the law of process, uh, Covey calls it, you know, sort of sharpen the saw, right? The, the habits that you execute on a daily basis give you that, you know, 0.1% compounding, you know, performance over the course of, of time. And that's really what we're, we're trying to do is, uh, you know, just move the needle a little bit every day, which may or may not be, you know, once in a while having to grind, but also not grinding yourself into the the ground, so to speak. So uh, yeah, great lessons and insights. Uh, 
Kevin, thanks for coming out. If anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best channel to to do that on? Just kwaka at harmonate.com or uh, they can reach out to our info uh, on our website and uh, we'll be in touch with them quickly. All right. Well, I hope everybody listening has billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, under <laughs> management so that they can uh, help you out. And if you do, in fact, have that much money under management, we'd be happy to hear from you as well. So. <laughs> hey, we're also raising money, right? It's also the capital. The capital raise is always going on. And, um, you know, if you're telling is selling, right? I know you, you have a sales background. So. <laughs> Appreciate you, Kevin. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, Ledge. Take care. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.